Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Good morning, I'm Bing Huang, pathologist at Fox Cheese Cancer Center in Philadelphia. I have the pleasure to introduce the winner of IAC ASC Warren Land Residence Physician Award, Dr. Terrace Ling. His presentation is titled, A Rotation of Roses, Workload and Reimbursement Analysis of System-Wide Telecytology Rose Coverage in a Multi-Site Rural Health System. Dr. Ling, could you provide us a summary of your project and tell us what motivated you to do this project? Sure. Thank you for having me, and I'm uh, really thankful to be the recipient of this award. And so basically, uh, what we had done with this project is, during the pandemic, we and our health system have multiple different hospitals, and some of them are in very rural locations where we don't have a pathologist on site, we don't have a cytotechnologist on site, and we offer all the same services at all of our hospitals. So in order to continue to provide uh, rows, we needed to get pretty creative, not only because we had our last cytotech retire from that facility, but because we're in a pandemic, a lot of our pathologists were becoming ill and out. So the workload was increasing on other pathologists at the same time. And we had to really rethink about how we schedule pathologists for service coverage, whether they're doing surgical specimens, are they on cytology? Is there enough uh, opportunity to do uh, tele-rows uh, remotely as somebody's entire workload for that day? Or do we need to augment that with some other cases as well, such as like pap smears um, and look at it that way? So basically what we had done is we had looked at uh, the cost assessment and workload analysis for pathologists that were cytopathologists that were using telecytology and providing care at three different remote hospitals where we didn't have uh, cytotechs on site and we didn't have pathologists and needed rose coverage. And what we had found was that while we did have enough volume to account for a certain amount of P, uh, uh, FTEs, uh, sorry about that, uh, we did have the notion that we needed to supplement uh, that person's time during the day to also cover some additional services such as reading PAPs. Uh, so what we had been able to do with this is not only show that we can do this, but we were able to still provide the same level of care that we would normally provide outside of a pandemic and in the confines of having all the staff that we did not have at the time, uh, because we also did have staff that were going and doing COVID vaccines at the same time too. So uh, that's what we had done with this. And we had showed that not only were we adding a lot of value to um, our healthcare for our patients, but we are not seeing the reimbursement as expected for the services that we provided. Uh, so that was really the mainstay of the project that we had looked at and whether it was feasible and what we had learned um, for, you know, future pandemics, although I hate saying that we're going to have another pandemic, but it's very likely that that will occur in some time in my career. Uh, we know what we need to do next time, what worked really well this time, and things that we could do a little bit differently. So, yeah, um, thank you. So, I have two questions. 
One is uh, when you look into the cost and the reimbursement, do you think these results were surprising to you or they were as you expected? And then on the um, other one is you, um, uh, was your your um, post was telling us the um, the cost and the reimbursement during COVID time, but the same code and the reimbursement applies to all, right? It's the same coding. Um, Correct. It's the same coding. So um, I guess to start with the first uh, question, um, it wasn't really surprising. We know that our servicers are undervalued a lot of the time. And especially when we're doing this as a way to make sure that we get enough tissue to work up and get a diagnosis for the patient and prevent the patient from having to get another subsequent procedure to get more tissue for you know, a diagnosis or ancillary studies. Uh, yes, yeah, so the codes were still the same as pre-pandemic versus during the pandemic. Um, I think what's really interesting though is you know, out of the reimbursement, we're only getting 6.15% for the services that we bill. And so that led to almost a $2.4 million undervaluement of our rose services that we were providing, even though it was shown to be high quality, we were getting the right uh, answers, we were getting enough tissue to work up. And I think one of the things that's really important is to know that despite it being undervalued, we're still helping the patients, and I still think it's worth doing, even though we're not getting the full reimbursement that we should. We're getting only a portion of it. Um, it just shows that sometimes what we value ourselves is not always you know, viewed as by Medicare, but usually it catches up, but it takes some time to do that. So, As you mentioned, the um, road services provide high-quality patient care. Um, yet the service is undervalued by the current uh, Medicare reimbursement. So do you think the billing codes and the fees needs to be adjusted? Yeah, so I think they um, do need to be adjusted, um, but I think it takes time and I think there needs to be more literature out there. Um, you know, usually to make an argument for such change, you have to have, you know, the literature to support it and why it's valued. And then I just think that sometimes we need to get... Um, people that actually know what we do on a daily basis into committees that can, you know, promote that type of change within, you know, Medicare. And, you know, medicine is a very large specialty and not a lot of people understand what really different pathologists do. I think that's some of the shortfalls of, you know, Medicare reimbursement is potentially, you know, more undervalued because people don't really know what we add to, you know, besides getting a diagnosis, they don't really understand the complexities of getting the tissue, making sure there's enough cells, et cetera. But I do think we need to uh, reevaluate, you know, CPT codes and, you know, reevaluate reimbursement, which would require um, a lot of collaboration between um, insurers and, you know, providing, you know, evidence-based facts it. This is what we do and this is why we do it. And this is, you know, the benefits of doing what we do and why, you know, we're undervalued. So that means education to the medical field, to the community and to our colleagues and to the insurer and everybody. So I think it's a good point. You mentioned the literature. It seems maybe we should, you know, do more investigating into uh, these fields rather than the on the scientific side, right? I think this literature is very um, limited in number. Yeah, I completely um, agree. Yeah. yeah, so so are you writing up a manuscript or you have already done so? 
I am actually still working on it um, because I really wanted to see if there's anything out there and exhaust all options of a literature search um, and then really tie in why this is, you know, really important and take a look at all the different changes that have happened with, you know, billing over the past, you know, decade or two uh, for Medicare and, you know, things that are changing and, you know, what happened with pandemic um, circumstances and why, you know, things were a little bit chaotic and explain why, you know, this is really necessary to really take a deep look and then potentially look at, you know, how do we educate our colleagues in a way that's effective, right? We can, you know, say, oh, this is, you know, valuable, but that doesn't really add a lot. So we need to really show a lot of data and making our case to them and really do a good job at providing a really good education. And the question is, what type of education does that mean? Does it mean, you know, a series of roundtables at a lot of different conferences, or does it, you know, include maybe incorporating that early on in medical education for our medical students, soon to be residents that don't really have an idea of what goes on in a laboratory. I think a lot of it, we really need to start looking at education earlier on. And, you know, in my medical education, I don't really learn anything about health insurance or reimbursement or anything like that. So I think we also need to incorporate that there as well. So we can kind of start building those blocks and understanding what really goes on and how to promote change effectively. Yeah, I think it's a very good point. Like early in the residency, we incorporate these blocks into the education. Yeah, um, thank you very much. And thanks for sharing your experience. Yes, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org.